Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. Heavy rain, droughts, record-breaking early blooms, and even a recent blizzard warning in California, all alarming indicators that Mother Nature is off kilter. Climate change is a slow-moving crisis that's catching up quickly, and for some companies, long-term weather forecasting is an essential part of their business model, including my next guest. Joining me now is Dr. Anand Saroop, founder and president of ingredient supplier Cephum. Hi, Anand, and welcome to the NutraCast. Hi. Thank you so much for inviting me over here. Well, thanks for joining me. So I'm just thinking about the weather just in the past few weeks. Is this unusual weather the new normal? It looks like new normal to me. The way things are changing around us, you know, we kind of got used to it. But uh, if you see, there's a pattern to everything. Uh, the way the weather is changing, the way we are seeing unpredictability out there, I see a pattern down there. It it's definitely says that something is not normal. Yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking about last month, I was touring Now Foods in suburban Chicago, um, we had to take cover. There was a tornado warning. That was in February. Wow. You know, it, it, and I travel a lot international. Uh, I was out in India just about a week back, and I went to north of India, Rajasthan. And I thought, you know, I, I, I lived in, in New Jersey for a long time, and, you know, nothing can affect me. But, boy, it was cold. It, yeah. it, it just caught me so unawares. And then I came to Delhi and was hot like summer. So it seems pretty unusual. But if you see the underlying causes, they were there. They just got prominent now. Yeah. So at what point did you realize climate change was impacting your business? I would say it was about 2014 when we started seeing a a kind of disturbing pattern in our raw materials. So if you, the kind of business we are in, we bring in herbs, uh, different kind of herbs that, that dried roots, leaves, stem, different part of plants, and then we extract them. There's a kind of ratio out there, like, you know, you take 10 kilos to make a kilo, you take like 11 kilo to make something uh, which you are sanitizing in a herb. And I started seeing the kind of pattern which is not following the norm. So some Products we are, uh, you know, which where we used to it, use 10 kilos to make a kilo. Now we start using 14, 15, 20 kilos. Some herbs which were about 20 kilos, now they're giving the same yield in 10 kilos. So this was totally out of the, you know, out of the norm. And, and that really got us alarmed. We reached back to our, our growers and, you know, the supply chain partners and asked them that, what do you guys have done? Is, it, is there any change? And they say that, Nothing, not much. I mean, it's just the business as usual. You know, we just grow the crops with the same kind of seeds. We not change anything. And we started digging down that what, what really is making this, this big difference. And it took us about two years. And then we kind of, you know, zeroed down to the changes which are happening in the climate around us. And uh, and as you know, the plants are actually making all these biomolecules, which we, we use in our, you know, supplements and that stuff. They're all secondary metabolites. And plant they, they produce these things in response to their environment. And if there's a change, the plant will express it in, in the you know, production of their biomarkers. And that, that's what we are seeing in our extraction process and business. So it's impacting your yield. It's also impacting perhaps the nutritional value? 
I would not say that that per se, because um, if you use the plant as such, of course, yeah, you're, you're right. You know, it, it might affect the nutrition value because if you're using plant as a raw and without processing, you might see a different in nutrition value because of uh, impact from the climate change. You know, plants are changing their biochemical profile to survive. In what other ways is it impacting your business? So apart from that, you know, if you see uh, we, we had this big, you know, COVID related uh, spike in demand on immunity products and, and other products, you know, people just become more aware for self-care and there was a huge demand. Uh, now, in earlier years, I could have predicted a kind of, you know, pattern that if this is the weather, this is a normal rain, I'm going to get X crop in so much quantities. Not anymore. I have no credibility. Any product which we use in our herbal supplements today started about a year back somewhere in a field. So for me to have this prediction, to basically make sure that I have a supply available when the demand hits, it was more or less, you know, um, you can calculate the, the, the everything down to the wire, not anymore. So it brings a lot of unpredictability in my supply chain. Yeah, uh, and that has to be stressful, right? Super stressful, super stressful. So you previously said that climate change is going to require some fundamental changes in how we approach the supply chain. Uh, can you expand more on that? So you know, the usual way of looking at supply chain, the traditional way, you know, I'm in this market for almost 20 years. We thought that ingredients are going to be the, the least, uh, you know, stressful subject of everything. You know, you have other things out there, how to formulate, what to bring in new products out in the market. And ingredients were always available. Uh, it The relation between a formulator, a brand owner, a contract manufacturer and ingredient supplier was mostly transactional. What you do that, you know, you, you have a demand, how many kilos, what price and specification, you get supply. But things have changed now. Uh, you know, everybody have to really talk to their suppliers, keeping climate and supply chain and sustainability, sustainability in, in a central view that, you know, whether you require something down the line or not, you have to ask the question, if I need, can I get it? If my needs become double, triple, will you be able to supply it to me? So from transitional approach, it basically, you know, everybody has started looking at a much more deeper relationship and understanding some basic tenets of supply chain, you know, climate, the human capital, importing and shipping crisis around the world. So everybody have to be a part of this, this entire process. Earlier, it was very transitional, you know, importers and distributors and, and manufacturers kept this worry away from the desk of formulator or brand owner. And so now it sounds like you're trying to all work together to stay on the same page. Is that right? Yeah. I, I, you know, the, the good old, old days of working in silos are, are kind of over now. Yeah. So s- sort of stronger together. What is Cephem Sense and how did you incorporate it into your business? So what we started seeing that we get a lot of, of this data out from the ground. Once we are out, we talk to our stakeholders, suppliers, our farmers, and then we get a lot of information. And it was basically kept to ourselves. We were not really talking about it. And slowly we started seeing the interest from brand owners, contract manufacturers, and other stakeholders asking these questions. You know, everybody's kind to dwell deeper in, into, into the idea that what's going on. 
Can we get some more information? So I thought of actually sharing this information in a form of a newsletter or something, you know, for people who are interested, you know, and I'm not trying to send it out to everybody or, you know, put it big public out there. So what we did, we just refined all the knowledge we were getting from, from the ground level every day. We are putting it down to very much absorbable piece of information, a piece of newsletter or a piece of graphic or data. And then we are putting it out on our website and we are inviting people to, to go sign up and, and, and get this information firsthand. And sometimes this information is connected to the products which we don't even sell, but we have the information, you know, might help somebody else out there. And what sort of technology is behind all this? So we, we use a lot of data technology. Uh, you know, I'm a scientist uh, by training. One thing is believing um, information out there, but second thing is believing in data sets. And I'm a strong believer in data sets. So any information which is out there, if you can convert that to a data piece. So for example, we look at weather. We look at long-term weather forecast. And, and most of the data is, is available out there in public. There, there's so many databases out there which are giving you information. What we have been doing that we are picking up that those data and we are applying them to the crops which we are using, the geographical area we are operating in, like in Asia or in South America and Africa, where they're going to impact on those particular crops. And we are kind of, you know, getting out a refined data that how it might affect the supply chain. So basically using the weather data to find an impact on the supply chain. That, that that's that's the uh, you know that's kind of kind of basis behind this this idea and we're also watching all these crazy weather phenomena like you know this is the third year in a row for La Nina effect and what's gonna uh, make the weather like in in India or in Africa or in China or in in South America how it's going to affect our uh, supply chain so all these data we just try to gather and apply it to our supply chain. Okay, and so you're taking this data, these learnings from La Nina. What are you? What exactly are you doing with that information? What steps are you taking? So what we do on a commercial side, when we look at, at weather, weather, weather patterns, and you know, we see that some areas are going to get pretty normal weather phenomena like proper rain. Uh, some areas are going to get a really bad drought, uh, which is basically predictable. So we try to buy the crops in advance. We go into these areas, we try to buy in advance, store in advance, uh, work with farmers to figure out a way in which they can commit to the to the crops short term and long term. And, and, and also inform our stakeholders, our, our buyers out there that if they're going to place the order for 10,000 kilos on the line, it might not be available. So they can actually look to reformulate or basically create the kind of enough stocks to, to carry them on to the, to the next season, uh, next weather pattern. Okay, so you're adjusting your operations to reduce disruption and just taking some overall proactive steps, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, so what impacts can you see and what future effects are you anticipating right now? I see this effect is, is kind of um, happening every day and I don't see this is reversing anywhere soon. It's going to go and it's going to change the kind of plant supply chain which we are looking at. We have to adopt to this thing. For example, if you look at northeast of India where the rain have you know causing a havoc in last four years. 
uh, it was the biggest area where we were growing Bacopa. Now, we're seeing this pattern repeating again and again and again. So what we can do, we can pick up these plants and try to find, find a different geographical location to actually start planting them there and then and, and try to get a better crop yield, you know, from, from because where it's raining more, it the crop become us unsustainable. So we can bring the crops which are more water thirsty to that area and move this crop out to a more temperate area where the rainfall is normal. So we're going to change, we're going to adopt and change agriculture practices uh, which are going to work in favor of keeping the supply chains stable, but it will take time and it will create in the in the interim, it will create shortages, disruptions, and, you know, kind of unpredictability which nobody wants. Right. Uh, you mentioned Bacopa. Are there any other specific botanicals or crops that the dietary supplement industry should be concerned about or, or keep their eye on? There are a couple of them out there. You're looking at at coffee crop, which is which is changing. You're looking at crops like tubers. All the tubers are changing big time. Tubers were considered superfood for Asia, and their character, the the complex carbohydrates, they're changing to single sugars, simple sugars now. So there's so much change happening at the biochemical level that we have to start looking at. Uh, the, the products which we have been using in a normal way. And this also provides the opportunity to, to look at new crops, new products, new herbs, uh, which might be useful in, in, the, in, the, in place of the traditional herbs which have been using for a long time. What sort of role does the specific country play in all this? I mean, we rely so much on China and India for a lot of our herbs and botanicals. So if you look at the weather pattern, which is changing across America also big time, and, and this actually brings in a lot of opportunities now. So if you look at the kind of tropical weather, which is spreading from south and is creeping up to your know, Midwest and north, this actually provides um, us with a new opportunity to grow something which we have been relying outside this country. So if you see the weather is changing, it's getting slightly more hotter and Mississippi, you know, places below Mississippi. That basically tells you that, you know, we can bring in crops which we were buying from outside to start growing in this country. So that's a huge opportunity. It's coming with the weather change, but we all have to adapt to it. That's interesting. I mean, I like your approach. You're sort of taking something negative and, and finding the opportunity in it. Yeah, because if you see, the weather is, is going to change. If you look at, at the larger scale data out there, it has been changing over the years. And, and and this is pretty much normal. It's a cycle of, you know, Earth, how we go high and low on, on, on getting heated and cooled. But at the same time, um, you know, we adopt. We adopt, we change our practices. And, and I think this is a huge opportunity for, for us in the U.S. to start looking at growing a lot of crops in-house here and, you know, stop relying on, on our mass-produced agriculture-based uh, soy-based economy to go more on medicinal plant, and um, which are going to benefit everybody's health down the line. I guess a lot of brands would probably think, you know, these botanicals that are specific to other countries aren't even, it's not even a possibility, right? Because there are quite a few different botanicals that are grown in certain altitudes, weather conditions. I mean, how many of these sort of botanicals that we rely on can be moved to the U.S.? 
just a pretty complex thing to even think about. Even I mean, I'll give a simple example of, of turmeric in India. The way we take turmeric in India, that we mix two different streams of turmeric in India. One turmeric which grows in the volcanic black soil of South India and one turmeric which grows in North India. So we combine both of them to get the best yield out of curcuminoids. So the plants are complex, uh, but there are a few plants which can be grown into, into the climate which we are uh, reaching in U.S. This, again, uh, is, is a complex question. Uh, we, we need to break it down to the level of the air, the water, the soil quality, the, the minerals, the pH. And there's so many variables out there. But when, when I see the top level scenario, it, it really tells you that things like coleus, uh, maybe we can grow coleus over here. Maybe we can go some of the crops which are not very intensive on the soil quality and they simply depend on on air water and a normal pH soil we can try those and we have seen you know in past the kind of herbs which are known to us in us there are hardly maybe two percent of all the herbs known to uh, asian populations so if we dig deeper and start looking into new herbs maybe with more medicinal properties and, and they they might be able to grow here that's a good point what advice do you have for companies who want to sort of incorporate weather forecasting into their business model i think Companies need, need, they need to start putting weather as a, as a main uh, concern in, in the supply chain. And they have to ask the question uh, uh, to their supply chain partners that what are they doing? Uh, are they addressing this issue or do they have any models available? To, are they working proactively to address the disruptions caused by weather? And once they ask the question, you know, uh, the dialogue will start. And then, then a transparency will start where, where everybody will come on the same page to understand what's going on. And, and uh, they can actually predict or actually prepare for any kind of disruptions down the line. All right. Sage advice. Before I let you go, what's next? Do you have any new updates or announcements or things that you're looking forward to? We are. It's interesting you ask this question. You know, there's something which is very close to me for, for a long time. I was looking at this thing. March is Women's History Month. And. I was looking at a participation of women in my supply chain, and these are the people who are unknown stakeholders in this, this supply chain. I'll tell you a story. Long time back, I was out, and, and we buy a lot of fenugreek. Fenugreek basically is a seed. Uh, everything falls on, on, on the ground, and farmers collect them, and then they bring it to a processing area where uh, they start cleaning them, You know, separating all the dirt and everything from the seeds. And I was visiting this floor where they were cleaning, and then I saw there were nine men and one older lady, and they were all cleaning this this seed. And I saw men were doing it pretty fast. They were just, you know, just shaking up in the seed, dumping it in, in, in a bag. And this woman was taking his own time, and she would look at, at the things, then started taking out the dirt particles by hand and throwing it out before dumping it in the bag. I went back to the supervisor and asked him that, I hope we are paying her the highest. And he said, no, we are paying at the lowest. I said, why? He said, oh, she's the slow worker. I said, she is taking all the dirt out. You understand that if I get it my plant, I have to do three extra steps to take the dirt out. So she's saving money. And they didn't get it. So anyway, I went back to this lady and asked her, just tell me why, uh, you know, even if you're paying paid less, why, why are you cleaning it so carefully? And she said, oh, somebody's going to eat it. That gave me goosebumps eh? because... It was such a profound moment. I never realized that women are looking at food supply in a very different eyes. It's food. 
is family. Somebody's going to eat it. And I said, this is something which we lack profoundly in our supply chain, the human element and the care element. And and, and that is so critical. And uh, I went back, I, I thought about it. I'm just trying to find a way to convert them into a data point so that we can find an equitable employment solution for, for everybody in the supply chain. And, and, and these are the people who are kind of unheard in the supply chain. So that's something I'm working on. It's, it's very close to my heart. I'm trying to find tools to address this thing in, in coming days. It's impossible to change culture. It's impossible to push people to do something that way. I'm thinking of creating some kind of data tool, anonymize people, name genders behind that, and then we can find who is most productive and, and basically get rewarded based on that. I'm talking to a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of innovators to figure out a way in which we can we can do this thing. If you come across anybody who, who's using some kind of database or, or a technology or anything connected to low cost data sets, which can be applied to developing countries, uh, I would be definitely interested to talk to them. Well, you're on the right platform because there's a lot of people listening that would be interested in helping with this. Uh, me included. I don't know if you know about this, but I have a series, mm-hmm. a weekly series called Neutral Women Wednesday. It highlights the women behind the wellness. And um, maybe we can highlight some of your female farmers on my show. Absolutely. There's some great stories out there, uh, you know, and then and then you realize that how important it is to, to bring those voices in the front. All right, Dr. Anand Saroop, founder and president of Cephum. Thank you so much for joining me here on the NutriCast. Thank you so much. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutriCast wherever you get your podcast. You can also head to NutriIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutri-related content. Thank you for listening. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutriCast next week.